Context warning. Remember that this was recorded before the release of Disney's Moana, so in this episode we're going to worry about its impending quality. Luckily it turned out to be really flipping good. Welcome back to our lengthy plunge into the deepest depths of Disney's Frozen. You may have come away from the previous episode incredulous that we would be able to devote the following hour just to let it go, but that's exactly what we're going to do. However, we also spring off into discussions of Disney marketing in the 90s, which of Frozen's characters are deadweight or mishandled, the metaphorical timescale of fairy tales, Disney's stage musicals, how Let It Go contrasts with recent trends in the biggest movie musicals and why it utterly defeated them, and the pasties. Of course, the pasties. So thank you for coming. Let's get down to some serious Disney. Here are my thoughts about Let It Go, which these were written actually back at the time, I think, like when the film came out. Okay, yeah, through tears. Yeah. First off, Let It Go is flipping phenomenal. It is an easy target for parody or making fun because of oversaturation. Yeah. I imagine a lot of parents would gladly burn every copy ever printed. But putting that stuff aside and just looking at what it actually is, it is a remarkable achievement. And I can't imagine a time when it will ever be out of like the top 10 Disney songs of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Can't disagree with any of that. Anybody who says otherwise that is an actual Disney fan... Yeah. He's being a hipster. To deny that song is to deny Circle of Life or, yeah. or When You Wish Upon a Star yeah. or something. You know? Particularly that, because yeah. that's another one that it's easy to like, it's schmaltz, it's, it's, yeah. it stands for Disney, it's the famous song, it's easy to parody. Yeah. But it's great, and this yeah. is. And it's communicating a very powerful theme that's modern as yeah. well and relevant you know the idea of throwing off the shackles of an asphyxiating identity yeah. a friend of mine who uh, gained uh, ice uh, powers sorry who gained ice powers yes and was also gay right <laughs> um, at his wedding mm-hmm. uh, to his uh, boyfriend now husband he gave a rendition of that song which oh. was very nice oh. Um, yeah. oh why wasn't I there they should have just rung up Disney fans and been like, just pop in, pop in. We don't know who you are, so we don't actually want you there. Yeah. But you can come and see this. Come and, and see then... and then get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, but that's the kind of, it's a very empowering song yeah. for quite a number of people, I think. Yeah. It's just great. It's great. It's passionate. It's important to a load of people. Yeah. And so it's weird that I'm about to compare it to Under the Sea so strongly. Okay. I ha- I always compare it to Under the Sea. I-, I have since it came out. The reason I connect them is I was always a Disney fan when Little Mermaid came out. Yes. But Disney was just this thing in the background. They brought out new films. You saw them. That's it. You didn't really care. Basil the Great Mouse Detective comes out. I read the read-along tape and magazine. I yeah. maybe see the film. Can't even remember. Oliver it's and Company. It's the thing you do as a child. Yeah. Oliver comes out. I collect the badges that you get if you buy enough pet food. <laughs> I see the film. I eat the Happy Meal. Whatever. Little Mermaid comes out. Yeah. And Under the Sea is suddenly the single most important piece of music in my world. Yeah. I want to talk through how that song was handled back then because it compares in an interesting way to what they did this time. I don't actually know how I first came to know about Under the Sea, which itself tells you that it was handled well because the best advertising is the kind where you don't know how you first found out about it. Yes. But I knew the song and I bought a, I, I bought a read-along book and tape of The Little Mermaid because it said it had Under the Sea on the tape. Right. That's why I bought it. Slightly too old maybe by a couple of weeks for a read-along book and tape but i wanted that <laughs> song um and it turned out to be a cut down version anyway and Look, I, knew- I i can't judge you on that i mean i <laughs> two weeks ago bought a pack of zootopia coloring books <laughs> and sticker albums from costco in bulk oh. that's why we bought them they were for art reference <laughs> but we did buy zootopia sticker albums and coloring books there's nothing wrong with that yeah and i knew it was cut down at the time because it didn't have the line darling it's better down where it's wetter and that was the one that i could remember that was the one like line i could remember from seeing right. the cinema the scene when i actually saw the film of under the sea was absolutely intense it was epic i asked for the album for christmas and all like it turned out to be one of my favorite disney soundtracks of all time yes i wanted it just for the full version of under the sea yeah i bought the sing-along songs video before the film came out just because it had under the sea yes that one song ruled my world back then now i'm prepared to imagine that wasn't universal and it didn't quite have the level of excitement around it that let it go did but it won't just be me yeah um, that song was used as a big part of the little mermaids marketing and i feel like it was the clip everyone 
showed of the film. Yes. I'm guessing that the way I found out about it first was probably aired on TV, episode of Disney Time or on Going Live or something. It's a fair bet they aired the song on TV or part of the song, they put it out there to be seen, then they snatched it away again, which you could do in those days. Yes. Every Disney film after that had an Under the Sea as its bargaining chip. Yeah, that's true. Be our guest, friend like me, and then it should have been Circle of Life, but they didn't figure that out until the video release, so Hakuna Matata was next. Yeah, despite it being a rubbish song. <laughs> then Colours of the Wind. <laughs> they had to make do with what yeah, they had. You know. That, and then that was it, because I guess it took one film for them to go, oh, weird, nobody cares about our songs anymore. Yeah. It, it won't be just this song. I know, they're so insecure. I know, it's a nice song. Like, yeah. Colours of the Wind's a nice yeah. song. But they went, okay, we'll try something different about that. They forgot how important those standout songs were, and yeah. they stopped doing it. Well, then they made Hunchback, where they seemed to entirely forget that you need to make the film for children in any way. Yeah, which is great news for us. Yeah, I know. It's great a... film now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when you're a child, completely incomprehensible and boring. <laughs> they would put their song out, they would snatch it away. The, the fact that on that read-along tape, they gave you a cut-down version of Under the Sea, as if, like, they were just snatching it away. Just like, no, but you can't have it. Yes. You might not watch the film. <laughs> and it kind of seems sensible. But this goes on yeah. until Let It Go happens. That's true. Everyone already knew at the time that Idina Menzel was a special kind of singer she stood out because of Wicked even people who didn't know who she was yeah. had probably heard her do that little trill up in the air at the close of Defying Gravity yeah because it's all over the place yes Frozen's on its way and we all know very little about it it's the Snow Queen but what is that it's not yeah. an easy story to call to mind we've probably seen the little teaser with the sneezing snowman but nobody really cared about that because it's not anywhere in any way representative of the film no I mean I, I watched it again yesterday I think or yeah. day before and I actually probably realised this at the time but I feel like it was an attempt to copy the Ice Age things with the little guy yes. and his acorn yeah the tone of it is like that. But we don't know anyway how that trailer pertains to the film or what it'll be. And then Disney do something that still stands out as brave. They just flat out gave us Let It Go. They did, yeah. Including the video. Yeah. It wasn't just the song nope. on iTunes. They on just put it for free. In HD on YouTube, yes. that bit of the film. It's the best bit of the film. Yes. It's the most thrilling moment in the film. And rather than hoard it and guard it, they just plopped it onto YouTube and said it's yours. Yeah. And the way I remember it is that they deliberately did not stop people doing covers of it and things like this. So it got yeah. shared. They let it, it go came viral. Point. Yeah. yeah. You can only imagine someone had to fight to, for that to happen. Yeah. I can imagine that, yeah. There'll have been people dead set against it. There'll have been yeah. people have been going, you can't do that, it's the best bit, they won't pay to see the film if the best yeah. bit is out there. But it went nuclear. Yeah. And it, people assumed that the rest of the film would be that good, wrongly as it turns Well, yeah. <laughs> But it's okay because they didn't notice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What I've put is, Let It Go was a nuclear warhead where Under the Sea was a cannonball. <laughs> Everyone knew that song within days of it going up and it made Frozen a vital thing to see. If, yeah. If you were in any... If any part of any Venn diagram you're in crossed over with ever seeing a cartoon of any sort. Yeah. You had to see Frozen. Basically, yeah. And I don't know if that's the song itself or it's just the fact that this is the age we live in now. Yeah. The age of shareable content and yeah. viral yeah. things and you know user feedback driving something well that's it I mean there is no equivalent for this in, in the days of Under the Sea in 1989 yeah no. if they'd have brought out Under the Sea and then gone do what you want we'd have gone we what? have <laughs> if we, it was on <laughs> I taped it if that's what you mean I taped it, passed it around to yeah. people I directly physically know. Yeah. You know? The only equivalent would be if like they didn't mind people doing karaoke of it or something. But, <laughs> but you know... It, I bet they didn't. No, yeah. But it was so well handled yes. by not handling it, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So what is weird to me is that they've kind of screwed it up a bit on the Blu-ray. Okay. Two, two points to make here. Number one, there is no chapter on the Blu-ray called Let It Go. Oh. Yeah. There is one called something like Elsa in the Snow or something like that, or Frozen Wasteland or something like that. Yeah. Now, it does happen at the start of a chapter. Yeah. Uh, roughly. You, you have okay. to sit through all of the snow transition, but okay, yeah. fine. So it's not as if nobody will be able to get to it. But like, there's a lot of sleepovers out there in the world where they went, <laughs> put on, let it go. And the mum goes, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that I think is a Given problem. Given that they released a sing-along version of it in the cinema, that is an odd oversight. Isn't it? Yeah. It's weird. Here's the the oddest oversight I that can possibly be. Yeah. They screwed up the sound mix on that song and just that song. Okay. Uh, didn't you know you didn't notice it? No. Uh, I'm gonna play it you now, you'll see. And are you sure it's the Blu-ray and not your setup? 
Yes and no. Okay, I've got the Blu-ray set up now. It's called The Search for Elsa and has a picture of Not Let It Go as the icon for the chapter. Well, that's just rubbish. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that rubbish? That is a load of rubbish. But I believe we will find that it is basically Let It Go. Yes, it is. And now what we're going to do, we are going set up and we're going to switch to the English 2.0 audio descriptive. Okay. With that in our heads, if I go back... Now listen to her voice. Can you hear that weird metallic ringing reverb? No. It doesn't sound like she's in a little metal room to you. It's mostly on the consonants. When there's a T or a D, it's almost split in half, like it's playing twice in rapid succession. Right. But, this is the point, it isn't present on any other moment or song anywhere in the film. And it isn't on the soundtrack album. And it's it isn't on the band. other audio mix. No, it's not on the 2.0. So, I'm willing to entertain the idea that it's an artifact of compressing it down from 5.1, because I've just got a two-speaker setup. Right. But it's not in any of the other songs, so it's not just that's what this Blu-ray sounds like when compressed. It is a weird reverb they have put on this one song. Do you reckon they tried to do some weird ultra-remastering on this one song to or, make it sound even better and it's yeah, backfired? Frankly, yeah. All I can think of is that they thought we need to punch this up because yeah. it's let it go yeah but they didn't do it to anything else and it's weird it's not the correct mix of the song that's in the only like hd real like available version of the song until the digital release if it's not in the amazon version but of course like if you didn't notice it then then it, we don't no, know i didn't notice it on the amazon mix i don't know if that's because it wasn't there or because it doesn't matter. Yeah, it fundamentally doesn't matter yeah. on an incredibly but deep what it, level. The reason, I think the reason why I noticed it is that when I was a kid, and again, Under the Sea came out, and comparing yeah. it to Under the Sea again... You became dangerously obsessed. Yeah, with, with a very slight reverb. No. <laughs> I had been obsessed with the concept of buying Under the Sea as a record. Right. Right. And I was in that age where you're like, I bet you can just get anything I think of. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I'll go to the shops and I'll buy Under the Sea. So every time I would look through like the singles and it, it wouldn't be there. Why not? And I didn't understand that it did have to chart to be in Woolworths. Yeah. I, I would have to be really aware that it was out. But anyway. And then at the end of the film, Under the Sea starts up again. Yeah. And this is preserved. This is on all DVDs, Blu-rays, all versions of it that I'm aware of. Yeah. The version of Under the Sea that plays at the end is the same one, but yeah. with that reverb put on it. And I heard it in the cinema that day and I went, ah, single version. It is, a, it is out. Yeah. I heard that and I was like, aha, there, there really is one. Preempting, by the way, the concept of there being like an actual pop single version of a song from a Disney film. Yeah. Then when it came out on video and I was like waiting for that version to be like, it was just the normal version, but like just with some reverb on, was it? I'll listen again just to check it wasn't a different version. And this is something I'm annoyed about and was annoyed about then. They talked over it. On the original VHS release, in the UK anyway, of The Little Mermaid, right. a man talks over Under the Sea on the end credits. And he goes, stay tuned for an amazing advertisement for the new Disneyland Paris, which had just, uh, Euro Disney had just That's opened. such... Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah, but they did. Now, to their credit, it was the same recording of Under the Sea. It just had a reverb put on it. But when I heard this, I'm like, it's Under the Sea again. Like I just heard it. But there isn't a normal version of it I can listen to. Um, and I've checked. I've checked on the soundtrack, which you have here, um, and that's and that is like we we actually own the CD of the soundtrack. Okay, that's always going to be a very slightly different mix, but then there's no weird reverb on that. So there you go. They. What I'm saying is, even though it doesn't matter, what they screwed up in a small way that doesn't matter is their most important piece of music they've ever done. <laughs> it matters. It matters to all. One person. All one person who's ever noticed it. Um, <laughs> Including probably most of the people at Disney. Yeah. Now, what it might mean is that if you do have a proper 5.1 setup, maybe her voice comes out of, like, the middle of the room or something. Maybe it's amazing effect. I don't yeah. know. Maybe, like, Idina Menzel crawls out of the speakers. Yes. Then John Travolta runs in and mispronounces her name. He just pokes his head in through the door. <laughs> what did he say now? I can never remember. Adele Dazim. Wow. <laughs> It's not like it's just pronounced wrong. No, it's... A, it's it, not Idina Menzel or something. No, it's a... Which might be right. I don't know how to pronounce Idina Menzel. I say it like that, but I don't know if that's right. I'm, th I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's almost backwards. It's not even backwards. It's just transformatively an entirely 100% yeah. different name. Yeah. It's the movie Rita Repulsa costume of words. <laughs> <laughs>
there, listener, we dropped the topic of the weird audio mix. But in my heart, I couldn't let it go. Jahan was right, it didn't matter, but in another way... Yes, it did! Before, I thought the unthinkable had happened and Disney had made a gaffe when mixing their most important musical scene in 20 years, and that was bad enough, but now I wasn't even sure they had. Was I obsessing over a detail that didn't matter to normal people, or was I obsessing over a detail that wasn't even there? I couldn't find anything about it on the internet. So I had only one course of action. I asked my audiophile friend. <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't think that for like the biggest Disney movie ever for the disc release they'd do something this shoddy, but... That's Peter Hasselstrom, and he's the sort of person who, when he gets a new place, sets up the speakers before the furniture. I, I got the Blu-ray just for the purpose of uh, confirming <laughs> that this is uh, something that exists, and I heard it immediately. It's like, oh, there it is! I think what they've done is, this was common in like the original Xbox early 360 times. Some games kind of pretended to have surround soundtracks, but they didn't really. What they did was was they just played back the exact same sound from the stereo in the rear channels just so there was sound coming out from the rear speakers and said, hey, there you go, you have a surround sound mix. But the problem with that is if you just do that stereo doubling, the effect is it creates like a, a lot of volume of sound here in the space you're listening in from the fronts and rears. It sounds kind of like it's coming from inside your head instead of coming from the speakers. It sounds like you're listening with headphones and in the the case of uh, Let It Go, they did a stereo doubling, but they put the stereo doubling on a delay and with a slightly lower volume. So they wanted to extend the vocals to all the speakers so that it sounds bigger and it's much more clear what she's singing, but they didn't have any actual like environment reverb there. They wanted it to sound like acoustically dead, so they did just a stereo doubling and then they put it on a delay to not uh, ruin the impression of it coming from in front of you from the screen so it uh, didn't sound like it was inside your head like it did with the early crappy game surround mixes <laughs> so i think that's what they did and if you listen to it just mixed down into stereo it just sounds like you're hearing the voice twice because yeah. you are so phew i wasn't imagining it it was there why, why, why? Why would they decide to boost the sound in one single scene and leave us with an official best available quality release of the film in which a vitally important scene has a tampered with sound mix and a scene that depends upon its sound at that? Why? Ugh. Okay, well now the world knows. I've said it now, I can relax. Back to the podcast, and next, in our intricate sifting through a single song for an hour, we're about to talk about the song's lyrics. Uh, there's no easy way to transition back to the thing that happens next, which is that I just blurt out the word lyrics. Like this. Lyrics. Because I'm going into this. We're going in to let it go, right? This is important. We may never leave. <laughs> the snow glows white on the mountain tonight. I'm not going to do all the lyrics. Right. But that's a strong opening line. That is a carefully considered, carefully yeah. considered opening line, which could be in any song out of the pop and rock pantheon. Yeah. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight. It's, yeah. it's No, I tell you what, it's like it's out of a meatloaf song, specifically. <laughs> yeah, I can, yeah, I can hear that. I can hear meatloaf singing that. I mean, probably wouldn't have the same meaning. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> He's still alive. Um, given the way that 2016 yeah, is going so far Meatloaf if, if anyone ever listens to this who represents Meatloaf <laughs> Get him to record his cover of Let It Go Let me It might have happened Let me find out Let me find out right now If what, there is meat? a Meatloaf version of Let It Go Yeah he's added like four extra verses And it lasts like hope ten, so. ten yeah, minutes I hope so Meatloaf Let It Go No oh. No He hasn't done it Immediately after that line, you get the lovely little pun, don't you? A kingdom of isolation. <laughs> Love it. I am on board with that. It's not Ashman, but it'll do me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> I think she should have really emphasized the word She ice. does. No more. Okay, she should, like the character should lean into the screen <laughs> in 3D, like her head comes out over the audience and goes, ice. And then back into the screen again. <laughs> the music just stops for everything. <laughs> well, look, are they going to do it before the gate? <laughs> then do it for that line. Yeah. Um, 
Turn away and slam the door. There's an interesting line, isn't it? We're being serious now, by the way. That was oh, all okay. fun and games, but this is a good one. Because So she... So it's like, let it go, turn away and slam the door. She thinks she's free, yeah. but she's doing the thing of shutting herself in that she's done the whole time. So it's yes. like, and obviously that's no great discovery about the film. Like we know she makes a, ro- a big room for her to be in. Yes. She tells everybody else not to be in it. It's exactly the same. Yes. But the fact that it's here in the triumphant song, I'm free. She literally says I'm free in the song. She yeah. also says turn away and slam the door. So not only is she closing the door eternally on herself yet again, well, I guess she's she, slamming it this time. I guess she's not thinking of it that she's slamming the door to shut herself in. She's thinking of it in the sense of, I have left and I'm closing the door yeah. behind me into my world of freedom, which yeah. is just another prison. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's great. I think it works really well as like a little, yeah. you know, you can you can read it any way you want as her subconsciously saying it to herself or just as like a musical presenting an idea to you. Yes. It's great, whatever it is. That door metaphor being relentless throughout the film. We're yeah. about to get to a big one. <laughs> the second verse... We're going to blow the doors off this door thing. <laughs> the second verse <laughs> is... Weird, the way it starts. Okay. It, it, it starts deliberately, I'm sure. Like, it, it feels as if it's uh, an interesting way of approaching the second verse where it starts a few beats after the verse begins. There's nothing odd about the rhythm of this song. It's a very normal... Yeah, it's very traditional. Three, four, it is normal. One, two, three, four. Bam, dum, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. That comes in on, like, the third bit. Yeah. So what it sounds like, the, when you don't know the song off by heart like we do now, it sounds yeah. like... Da-da-da-da. Is the start of the verse. Yes. So it sounds like. One, two, three. I come in late to start this verse. That bit was the first bit of this verse. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But actually, it's just like, no, we're starting a new one there. Yeah. It's strange to me the way they do that. Um, I'm not against it, and it's obviously deliberate because everything in this song is is very carefully planned out. But like, all I can do is like wonder what it means, and (laughs) I don't think it means anything. It's just music. But I think it's just that how characteristic that little that little violin bit is. That it sounds like something has begun when actually no, we're still waiting for the. No, that's just the lead in. Yeah. Then next thing we get is this amazing showcase of 3D cinema. The Ice Castle Great. formation. The formation of the Ice Castle was absolutely incredible. Oh, beautiful. It's one of the few times where I think if you haven't seen it in 3D, you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. And I'm not just banging a 3D drum. Like, I'm a bit more of a 3D fan than other people. As am I. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just saying that, like... And, and this goes for a lot of the ice in the film. It has a very thick depth to it that you don't get into. Do no, exactly. It doesn't ruin the film. But there is it something worth seeing. It looks better in 3D. Yeah. It does. Especially this scene, which I actually think, as the crystal chandelier forms, it kind of pans around. This was just a showkase of 3D, and it actually doesn't look that great in 2D, I don't no, think. No, I know. It looks a bit it, dated. It looks a bit flat. Mm. I mean, obviously. But, like, yeah. the bit of it that's impressive isn't there anymore. Yeah. Basically. And then we have the amazing moment where she stamps her foot down. And I think that was a bit earlier. Yes, it was. She does that Broadway foot stamp and the ice spreads out. Yes, and turns That's purple. amazing, isn't it? Yes, it that, is. Just the, like, the choreography on it, the way it's animated, to look as Broadway as can possibly be. Oh, yeah. And like I don't know what Broadway that is. Like I don't know the choreography for different things. I know where I've seen it. There's a song, the opening, there it is. Yes. The, uh, the opening to Act 2 of uh, Joseph, Dreamcoat, the filmed version of that. Maria Friedman, who plays the narrator, does this stuff like yeah. for a whole song. And uh, it's not that exact stamp, but it's as close to like the whole body language so it's obviously like an established way of being in if you're a Broadway diva yes which she is yes Um, and it's just so brilliantly realised that's one of those Disney moments where they get Broadway musicals and they replicate oh no they're not just paying lip service to the form of the Broadway musical they they understand well as I've said they understand it quite implicitly with this film and then the weirdest moment in the film happens which is the thing about the pasties. What? It's... Okay, look, here. The, the pasties in the past. Weird, isn't it? Well, the pasties, the in, pasties the... in the past. What? Isn't that strange? There are pasties in the past. Yeah, I know, but like, why? It's not relevant here. I don't understand it. She loves pasties. 
<laughs> look at her face. I know, look at that. I paused um, it on a really good frame. There's that, a really angry grimace going on there. That's the, that's the face. This of is a precisely 34 minutes and 11 seconds <laughs> into the Blu-ray if you want to look for it. That's the face of a woman who loves pasties. She loves pasties! <laughs> But she like I feel as if she likes them to be in the past. No, this is a sad moment because she realised that in her ice palace, <sighs> well, she, well, how's she going to get them? Yeah. Where's she going to? There's not a Greg's up here, is no. there? No. <laughs> but it's not the past. But she could build an ice Greg. See, I don't. <laughs> I don't interpret it as the pasty is in the past. I think I think she's talking about the pasties in the past. I think she just. I think she just changes the subject straight away. Just goes the pasties in the past. And then doesn't follow it through. It's the weirdest bit of filmmaking and I'm not on board with it. Do you hate this film now? Yes. It ruins <laughs> Let It Go. <laughs> this podcast is deteriorating. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, getting quite late into the night now and we're going to break off soon and uh, do the next bit another time. But um, so here she is now. She's swaggering along. She's just full Broadway now. Yeah. And this is what we were talking about before. This uh, Okay, it's Broadway, but it... I think is representing like I'm being a grown up now. I'm being an adult. I'm wearing the dress. I got yeah. I've got my legs sticking out of it. I'm swaggering along. This is my haircut now. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like I guess for Americans a sort of prom dress moment. Yeah, sort of basically. A, I look my best now because I'm grown up now. Yes. Sort of situation. And here it is. She Nina Melzels her way out the window. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have to go far enough away to be able to withstand it. So the camera has to zoom <laughs> zoom out of the way. And then, look, I should have seen this before, but she slams a door on the film. On yeah. us. That's great, isn't it? Like, it's such a silly little simple thing, but... It, it's great until you realise the fact that she's literally doing that. And now she's not going to basically be in the film anymore. <laughs> ah, she's got a bit more in it than I thought. You've got the, the whole fight sequence, I think, is cool. Yeah, but my issue with this yeah. is this marks the point where Elsa yeah. stops being one of the main characters. Yeah. In a real sense. It's at that point where... Which she... is why this is suddenly now you need to fill the film up with other people. People. Exactly. She's no longer a protagonist or a person with active oh presence in the film. She's now an objective. And see, I never thought about it, but it's kind of a similar problem. Uh, even though I didn't feel it to the extent that you seem to have. Yeah. This same problem is the problem I hugely had with Brave, where yeah. one of its two main characters just goes. Yes. D yeah. For, it is the same problem for the middle of the film that that should be the and its defenders say is the moment where their relationship is happening. Yeah. But I think it isn't. I think it's happening with a cartoon animal instead. That doesn't feel like it has the same soul. Yeah, although that being said, I do intend to re-scrutinise Brave in the way, and, and being as fair to it as I have to Frozen. Yeah, even with all that in mind though, I feel like what we get of Elsa before she closes the door on us there yes. is infinitely richer and... Oh. Better than what we get after it, where we just get little snippets of her where she's crammed in the periphery of a bunch of other people's stories. Yeah. Including a load of people who just don't feel like they're earning the screen in the same way yeah. that she does. The textured growth of her character has essentially ended. Yes, and this brings me to a point that I thought I wasn't going to make on this podcast because I thought I'd overwritten it. Which is that when I first saw Let It Go, I thought everything about it was great except the smug face at the end. The cold never bothered me anyway, the final look. Yeah. Because I thought that it would have been more true to what's happening if we'd have seen a lot more doubt in there. Because even though what is happening is that this is her triumphant moment, yeah. her story is that it isn't. And that this, yeah. is a, this is a moment where she shouldn't have done this, even if it feels good in the, in the moment. So I get, yeah. and I've since gone like, yeah, but she feels good in the moment, so it's yeah. the appropriate face to put on it. But I just thought, maybe because I was being selfish and wanted to be treated more as an audience member, yeah. I felt like I wanted to see her a bit of anguish in there. Or, or, Anger, just anger, and I read the anguish and doubt myself. Yeah. A kind of a, like, screw the world face, rather than a, now I'm really cool. I think it's a bit more, I think it is more complex than that, though, because I think that she does think about all of the thing, of those things, but she's just rationalised that it's all good. Yeah. Even the things that she's left behind, yeah. they're going to be better off anyway. Yeah, and I did overwrite my opinion to that, and I thought, like, you know, yeah, I was thinking yeah. it's fine, they made the right decision. But now that I look at the film and realise we never see her pleased with what she's done again, really. She's just anguished from now on. And it makes me feel like either there should have been a bit less of a... I mean, I don't want to say smug, because that makes it sound like I'm, I'm judging like as, a, like as if she's real and shouldn't have been like... <laughs> 
I don't mean that, but like, the, she's got a bit of a DreamWorks face on there. So I feel like either there should have been a bit more rebellious anger in there or something like that, or keep it exactly as it is and maybe give me a bit more time with her between now and all the anguish later. The most yes. we get is her at the top of the stairs going, hello, and Anna goes, hello, by the way, the person you're saying hello to is me. And she goes, oh no. And then yeah. from then on, it's all anguish it's all, all the way. It's all anguish all the time. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I mean, it's like I said, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a consequence of her basically being underwritten for the rest of this yeah. film. Just a couple of, put in a couple of scenes. Yeah. Just slot them in. There's a number of potential solutions. The one that comes most obviously to my mind is, why is Olaf with Anna and Kristoff yes. as opposed to with Elsa? Right. There's so much about Olaf. Yeah. That to, okay. This is going to be difficult for me to put into words because it's a thing I don't fully understand. But when I, myself, or me and Abby together are writing a story... Yeah. ...and something's wrong... Yeah. ...and we don't know yet, but retrospective... Like, and then we finally figure out, oh, that shouldn't be like that, and we figure it out. Yeah. And we look back retrospectively... All those things always feel the way Olaf feels in this film. Right. It feels like something on the verge of a breakthrough to being what it, the platonic ideal version of itself. Yes. But it's currently not correct yet. That's but the feeling I get from Olaf. My issue with Olaf is I just don't feel he serves any utility to the story. But he nearly or, does. He He's so close because he yeah. represents their relationship when they were young. He is the physical embodiment of their love. And but almost he, nothing is done with that. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing done with that. He could have been that. He could have been this avatar of like loving sacrifice. Yep, but they don't do that. They and don't do when that. When we get it. eventually to that scene, I, I run round myself in circles trying to figure out if I want him to die or not. Yeah. Like, I don't, but there's I, I there's reasons why I think he should, but then I get why they didn't go with those reasons, and I yeah. kind of talked myself into seeing why they did it, and at that point, when I'm that zoomed in, that's where the, they are. That's where the storyboard yeah. artists are, the animators going over, like, this scene, this frame. When you get that deep into a story, you cannot see the wood. And for sure. That but, may be what happened. But that's why they then need to screen it for fresh eyes and get them to look at it. This is like yeah. they did with Zootopia, ah. which they extensively oh, yes. had to rewrite a core part of the premise of the film. They showed it to the Pixar Brain Trust, didn't they? And they yeah, went, Pixar, and like, they went none, not that and none of this. Yeah, and they're like, crap, we only have a year left to completely redo the premise of yep. the film. But goddamn, we'll do that because that's how you make the best version of this, this story. This is something that Abby brought up when we watched Frozen together after I'd made my notes. Yeah. Because um, I thought, Almost in a similar way to this. I thought what would yeah. be interesting is it I've, I've now looked at it, zoomed in. Now I'll just sit next to Abby and watch it as a film and we'll see what we come up with. And what Abby said was that like this film feels like a Disney film that didn't have a Black Friday. There's yeah. all the best constructed Disney films had a time where they had to basically throw it away. Yes. The analogy that she made, which I think is perfect, is that like for Tangled, Toy Story, you know, uh, Emperor's New Groove, like all of the ones yeah. where we've heard about that event. Yeah. There was a day where they essentially like, imagine like a, a table laid out with a picnic and you know, you've got the salt cellar and yes. apples in, and all of that is, those are your ingredients. Yeah. And they just swept them all off onto the floor. Yeah. And then picked up the most important ones and put them yep. back. This film clearly never had that. This film feels like they took the unimportant ones and just moved them further out. Yes. And then took the the, the two pillars took the important ones, put them in the middle, yep. kept that character, kept that character, but they're all still on the table. They're all still there. Like I said, Olaf thematically serves no point. He doesn't inform anybody's character journey. He, like you say, he almost does. There's threads for him yeah, to, and I'm, to serve and as a number of different As you're purposes. saying it, I'm kind of, I'm bouncing back off that and thinking he must do. I've just got to think of it because he's so close. Like, it, you'd, you could just roll over that character and suddenly he's the heart of the entire film. Like, but you hardly have to move it, the muscle it doesn't, for him to be it vital. doesn't happen though. No. They haven't made the connection. They've not it's like they, you know, they've left the piece in there. They've not noticed it's not linked up to anything. Yeah. And it seems that it feels to me like they just got too attached and just thought yeah, Ex exactly. But he's funny. He's funny and exactly. Funny. And they probably cast him by that point and they probably recorded some of it. And they clearly loved him yeah. and they thought he was funny yeah. and he is. Yes, he is well, funny. I like him as well. He's great. He's just once you get over the fact though that he's funny and you look at what he's doing or not doing in the film, it's yeah. like, okay, but all of the time spent on this character could have been spent on Elsa mm -hmm. or 
Anna. And in fact, I'd never thought of it before, but a minute ago you said he could have been useful with Elsa. Yes. And he could have been who she talks to. Exactly. So we learn about him. Then you have a reason to keep going back to Elsa because yeah, Yeah. I can see why you don't want to keep going back to Elsa on her own in an ice house. But... And he would have had so much... His thing is as the wise innocent, right? Who just says the right thing just because he's like out of the mouth of babes type thing. Yeah. Imagine him just... Being a sounding board for Elsa. Yeah, and just saying the right thing about the relationship. I remember you used to, you know, get it. Like if he was getting memories from when... I know he wasn't alive then, but you know, whatever. He could remember her, he could remember Anna as well. He could have some insight into what their relationship was and question like, why isn't it like that anymore? Yeah. And we could have had such good scenes. And yep. we could have had another Adina Menzel song out of that. For example. Yeah. There's a lot of potential for Olaf to have a utility in that mm. story. And he doesn't. Mm. He's just there for jokes. And okay, that's fine. Yeah. That's okay. You made it a poorer film. But from a constructional point of view and from a thematic consistency point of view and, you know, like being able to actually streamline a story down to its core ingredients and have all parts of the story working in the same direction for the same purpose. He is funny though. Yeah. And he is entertaining. And, and I he, like him. And I like him. And kids like him. Yeah. So he does serve a use in that respect. Uh, uh, Frozen fans, which we are, right? Yeah. If you're at this point starting to hate us because we're, we're talking in this way, all we mean is that I'm not saying kill Olaf necessarily. No. I'm agreeing with all, and, and as you just said, all of those things that he does that are good, that he's funny, that he's likable, those could all be in the film. Yeah. And they could have also made him mesh in and yes. be vitally important. Or they could have taken him out completely. They could have. And spent that equivalent amount of screen time making the other characters as funny and likeable yeah. as Olaf yeah. redistributing that time yeah. energy and then we, would, we wouldn't have missed him because we would have never known about him being there or, or whatever but exactly but I like Olaf I'm, I'm glad he's in it I just wish it had mattered that he was in it yes Yes, I would say that more or it less. It makes me really look forward to... Because I believe he's going to be LeFou. And I, and I feel yes. like it's going to be great when he's LeFou. Yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's perfect. That's perhaps the one piece of perfect casting that I'm <laughs> happy about in that film. Yeah, yeah, like, there, there's no doubting that. Yeah. Um, and maybe we may need to take a break before then, but yes. honestly, I can make less robust but similar arguments about Kristoff in right. a lot of ways. Uh, Let's see where we are. Do we get Kristoff now? We get him pretty soon. We must do, mustn't we? Oh, I've got a little bit more to say about Let It Go. So if you want to finish that thought off. and, and Which one? Um, well, you were about to talk about Kristoff. Or are you going to save that? I may as well bring it up. Yeah. Kristoff, again, look, maybe if one of Kristoff, Olaf, and I mean Sven, I suppose, is not a full-fledged character, but he is a presence yeah. that demands screen time and attention. Yeah. If one of them was not in Anna's travelling party, I would have less of the sensation that Anna, having proven herself to be mm. an incredibly individualistic, unique female lead in the Disney canon, suddenly gets crowded out of yeah. a film that was previously about her and her sister. And she does become a less powerful presence because of it. Yes. Not by much. She's, she comes out of it well. She she does but but it just feels it's like not about her anymore no and it suddenly is though it certainly isn't about Elsa anymore and it kind of should have been they remain good characters but yeah. just suddenly the film starts doing things that work against their significance and potency yeah. as part of the storytelling yeah. and that's a problem for me particularly given that what we're getting in return is Olaf who's got some good jokes but not much else yeah. and Kristoff who is broadly likable yeah and fine there's no one to hate and want kicked out of, no. it, of any of the main cast at all. It's just, it's purely almost, almost thinking of like what could have been and how much tighter it could be. Kristoff is pretty good. Mm. He's pretty good. Mm. He's okay. Mm. I don't like him as a love interest anywhere near as much no, as and I the weird like thing, Hans. And the weird thing is that he, he isn't one, sort of. We all recognise he's a good guy, but he works better as a friend. I think it's, I think it's a bit glued on at the end where they yeah. have a kiss. But I work around that by the fact that they don't get married. It could have just... I can decide whether they ever do it again. I suppose. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that Frozen 2 is going to... Well, yes. And also, they do make it very clear that, yes, he loves her. That's, yes, true. Like, that's and not it's, uh, No, ambiguous. good point. And it's important that they make that point. So, yes, okay. 
It's just, it kind of, doesn't that work against the love at first sight story in this? Well, I think so to a certain degree, but... Because they've only known each other, oh, a day as opposed to an hour. This is the thing. It is playing fast and loose with the aspects of fairy tale storytelling that it's expecting us to accept at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Because when you have love at first sight in a fairy tale, it is not supposed to mean the same thing as love at first sight in real life. When you have love at first sight in a fairy tale, it's a shorthand. For these two people have recognised each other as kindred spirits. The short, meaningful interactions that they have stand in for a longer period of, like, getting to know each other time in real life. Obviously that doesn't happen in real life, but it's an abstracted, shortened version of a real-life emotional connection Mm -hmm. you might form with another person. Now, Frozen asks us to take a moment like that and have it presented to us in an incredibly beguiling, charming way and then to deconstruct it as like, yeah, but you've only known him for a second and inject that level of real-world logic. Yeah, it suddenly does become, no, this really is not a metaphor, never mind that this... Because in the same way that we make allowances for songs in musicals, we make allowances for love. In fairy tales, yeah. Yeah, and this says, no, no, this one is actually operating on your timescale. They have met this day. Yeah. And it's still that... Day. Exactly. Just like if it was in a musical where it's like someone starts singing and everyone's like, Yeah, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Oh god. It asks us to do that. It asks us to take that revisionist, deconstructionist perspective on her interaction with Hans. But then it turns around and expects us to then suddenly accept the metaphor again mm. when it comes to um Kristoff. Yeah. Because as you say, they know each other for a few hours. Barely, I mean longer than she and Hans know each other. And they don't and- have the beats in the Disney fairy tale love affair story arc where it goes from the initial bantering yeah where they're almost opposed and then they learn to understand each other they don't have the middle steps like in Princess and the Frog like in Princess and the Frog yeah like in Beauty and the Beast they skip over those steps and go straight to the kiss at the end and you go oh Okay, then. A, it's underdeveloped, and B, it's suddenly expecting us to wholeheartedly and uncritically accept the reduced metaphorical fairy tale time scale yeah. that they spent the first part of the film ridiculing. Yeah. Well, those two parts of the film don't go together. Yeah. Now, to their credit, I doubt, unless you were, I doubt anyone came out of the film having had exactly that response. I think it kind of sits a bit better until you think about it and deconstruct it. Yes. I was willing to accept that, okay, they do spend longer together, so yeah. I'm taking that metaphorically yeah. as like, Okay, so that was their getting to know each other time. Yeah, and we have to allow... Hans didn't have. When the winter comes, I feel yeah. like at that point, that's where the time scale changes to a metaphorical one, because would they be dying... Of, of eternal winter that afternoon. I feel like you'd need a week before you're even annoyed. Well, I think the problem is winter has suddenly come on set in the middle of summer. Yeah. Oh, you'd, you'd you'd worry about it, for sure. I think that's the thing. I don't think there is... I think, like, the council might run out of grit, but I don't think it'd be terror. <laughs> well, no, I think there would be terror if, like, said winter is suddenly summoned by a witch queen. Yeah, yeah, okay. In the middle <laughs> of the government building. Yes, I suppose, to be fair, we have to, like, imagine if the queen Yes. Did that on her 90th birthday thing. In the, the other middle, day. yeah, in the middle of like a, a sunny day. Yeah. And then suddenly it turned into a bitingly cold yeah. winter generated by magic. <laughs> and the person who caused it has disappeared. Yeah. I Fair think, enough. I don't think you'd wait a week before you start. <laughs> I'll give it a week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, agreed. But nevertheless, the scale that we're operating on, I feel like it needs, you need to not be paying attention to the, to the realistic passage of time after that point. Yeah. And, and that. That's sort of hypocritical on the part of the film in terms of what it is expecting us to accept on a moment-by-moment basis, which all ties into that broader point we're saying where not all of the parts of this film are working in concert with each other. Mm. They're almost all good parts. Yes, they are. Yeah. Almost without... Lovely little cogs from different watches. Yeah, that's absolutely a correct analogy for this. They're intricately, beautifully made, but Mm. they don't necessarily all fit together. And when they turn, they don't turn in a way where they're all helping each other Mm. very well. And we're supposed to look at the hands turning and not go, how did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, particularly given that the way that they're turning is making the hands judder. (laughs) You know? <laughs> this is great. How far can we go? I don't know. But you know what I mean when I'm saying that? It's like, this wouldn't be a problem yeah. if the core, the pillars of this film mm-hmm. withstood it all and like were not diminished by the mess around. But I feel that they are. 
I yeah. feel like Elsa and Anna's story is undermined by this stuff. And I feel like the structure of the musical aspects of it ultimately ends up being undermined oh, by this God. stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about the structure of the musical ending up undermined, is there? No. No. <laughs> we'll I, get there. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe we might need to record an entire separate podcast for Fixer Upper at this point. I mean, <laughs> l- let me show you my Fixer Upper essay. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Just wait and see. No, let me say my last bit about Let It Go. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a little bit at the then end of my we'll Let It Go we'll wrap up note. this installment, will we? It goes this. Let It Go is so popular because... Right? right. I'm laying out a theory here. Okay. I mean, it's good. Yeah. But there's loads of good songs out there. Yeah. That guy's really wow. keen to hear he's it. honking all the way down the road. <laughs> Let It Go is so popular because they made the exact opposite decision than the directors of a lot of movie musicals today. Instead of going, we have a character whose key moment is a song, let's cast a random celebrity and try to force their voice to sound okay. Yes. They went... Broadway star. Yes. Step one. I am struggling to think of any other Disney song, like, at all, that went so wholeheartedly with Let the Singer Really Sing. Yeah. Which is what stage musicals have always done. Yeah. Even the really musical savvy ones. Belle didn't have a belt song. She had maybe a belt line. Yeah. The Great Wide Somewhere. That's it. (sighs) Colours of the Wind? Yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah. That's quite a... That's a power ballad. I'll give you that one. Um, I feel like there are others... But guess what? There isn't one in Little Mermaid. It feels like there is. That's a film yeah. entirely about the fact that she's an amazing singer. Yes. And she gets part of your world, or part of that world, the the, the first one. Yeah. And then part of your world is a bit more belty yeah. at the end. But they're not really. I can sing them. And in fact, a, a, a good comparison is the fact that in, uh, in Beauty and the Beast, when they did the stage version of Beauty and the Beast, someone... I can't remember who it was now, but someone who was a known singer. It was Tony Braxton. Was cast as, I think, the second bell on Broadway or something like that. Maybe maybe a couple of years in. Yeah. And basically realised that she didn't have a moment to shine anywhere yeah. in the show. So they wrote a new song just for her to do. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, it's not on the soundtrack. Just um, like they did in the Lion King show, I suppose. Did they? For, well, with the Nala. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. No, but what I mean is, this song wasn't in the stage show of Beauty and the Beast. Until, right, I see. Until okay, yeah. this actor went... Oh. Right. I need a song. Yeah. So Alan Menken wrote another song like yeah, a few yeah, years yeah. after it had been on. That is now in every every time they do okay. it, that song's in there. And the reason I thought of this was uh, when I was talking about the casting of the new film uh, with my family and we were talking about this stuff, about how they, they'll cast people who can kind of sing. Yeah. We realised Belle doesn't have a, a belter song. No. I mentioned Little Mermaid. The reason I talked about the Beauty and the Beast stage show is in Little Mermaid, they cast Sierra... God, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's spelt Bogus. Now, you've seen her in... Uh, Phantom. Yes. She's amazing. She is. And she basically, uh, part of that world wasn't, didn't do her enough credit. So they rejiggled it a bit. Yeah. So if you ever hear the, it's on YouTube if you're interested, the stage version of Part of Your World, basically, without changing it, makes it something that a singer like that can really blast out at the audience. Okay, yeah. And I can't sing that. Yeah. Um, I've tried. It's and Mainly it's the difference of going up an octave at the right. end rather, okay, than, yeah. rather than down. But if you think of part of your world, there she is going up on the rock. It's actually a low note. Yes, it is, yeah. So what I'm saying is The Little Mermaid yeah. doesn't have a Broadway diva moment. Beauty and the Beast doesn't have it. Few, no, they basically, none of them do. None of them really. have it. But here, here we have a song that lets the performer really use what they have. Yeah. And it's instantly the most popular Disney song ever. Yeah. And I don't know if we've compared the numbers to like non-Disney but musical films, but something tells me this is one of the most successful movie musical songs there's been. I would have said, particularly in recent memory. Yes, yeah, certainly. Know? I mean, if we're uh, going back to like Greece. Rogers and Hammerstein or something, yeah. there might be some uh, more famous ones. Or Greece, you know, where like new yeah, songs okay, yeah. are soundtrack were number one hit yes okay yeah but they got this right and like all the other movie musicals need to get on board with this I mean you know we had we had Les Mis and Into the Woods both of which were perfectly serviceable films of their show but both of which subscribed to will make it a bit less musically Mm. Yeah. As much as we can. It, yeah. Into the Woods did that by not really changing the songs, but just doing fewer of them, and, and almost it seemed slightly embarrassed to be a musical. Yeah. Um, 
Well, they're trying to go for that that sort of weird, like, visceral involving musical. In Les Mis, you yeah. mean? Yeah. And that, yeah. see, at least Les Mis justified its decision. You know, you, you, you can say, oh, yeah, but it's all close quarters and close-ups and so on. But, like, that decision will have come after the, the decision about how to approach the music, presumably. Yes, for sure. So, yes, it justifies it, but it's a covering up of the fact that they decided not to make a musical. I guess the perception is often that um, when a singer is performing a song in that manner on film, yeah. you're reducing the emotional intimacy of the moment mm-hmm. because it feels like you're being performed to. Yeah. Whereas, you know, on stage, the intimacy is generated by the fact that you're in the yeah. room with the performer. But on a film, it's like, this person is performing at yeah. me rather than being a person See, I in, think that's, in a moment. Yeah. I think you know? that is the reason. And I agree with that on paper more than I do in real life. Because, yeah. Because I think it all comes I mean, you down... feel the emotion of let it go. Yeah. And all right, we're at a remove there because it's animated. But I feel like it's down to the performer. It's down... Yeah. Honestly, that it's a comfort blanket. For hedging your bets in case you do the film wrong, in, in you know, in case you cast the wrong person, in case you direct the scene wrong. Yeah. The thing that I can't help but jump to is I Dreamed a Dream, which is absolutely performed to camera. Yes. No one's not thinking about the actor when they watch that, really, but it's amazing. True, but I would say that she's not Broadwaying that. No. She's not, but I feel like the same principle could be could be applied to someone who is. I mean, yeah, you don't Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. You don't come out of that having seen nothing from her, do you? you, you she's really yelling some songs at you, but you. She has a very very individualistic texture to the whole. Yes, and and, and of course style. that's all done almost as a joke, so it's easier for like her moments that aren't a joke to sort of hit harder because yeah. because of the context they're in. So. I don't think there is any one right or wrong way to do this. No, but there's it's a way. Just... I wish someone would. Would do so I can see if it works. Yeah, and I do think that the way that Let It Go is performed is not the way many people do on mm. film. And the success of Let It Go probably shows that maybe we should try that all. That's bit. it. I think we should try that. Like the, I guess the closest thing I can think to to a moment recently, yeah, is the um, well, I'm blanking on all the names here, but the witch's song at the end of Into the Woods. She does Last Broadway midnight, that. Last midnight, yeah. But what's her name? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. She pretty much Broadways that. I mean, I can't. She does. Remember but we've had how... quite a lot of her in a more intimate setting. Yes. Before that. Yes, but her songs before that are quiet. Any like in the show as well. I suppose then maybe they're okay with having that be a moment in the mm. film but they want the audience to sort of like connect with them as an acted performance before yeah. they let rip you know what I mean and the absolute word but it all comes down to tone it all comes down to like the director's style to my mind the worst example of this and indeed of a mu- movie musical that I'm aware of the last few years is, is Phantom of the Opera and right. um, we were going to watch that and we haven't done that yet But no. um, so I'm guessing you haven't seen that I've seen bits well it's the ultimate wrong mix of what we're talking about there are yeah. songs that are performed as songs yes. and they're never 100% belted the way that perhaps they ought to be but you get the sense that they're doing the best they can Yes, mixed in with moments where they're so ashamed of being a musical <laughs> that they actually change songs into spoken dialogue but still the lyrics so yeah. rhyming conversations. So they're essentially rapping, having a rap battle. <laughs> yes, but without any rhythm. They they <laughs> they go deliberately out of their way to make it not be. There's this moment where it's um, the lyrics are "Think of it, a secret engagement. Look, your future bride," and it's a secret engagement. Look, your future bride. Just think of it. But why is it secret? What have we to hide? And in the film, they're like. Just think of it. Yes, but why is it secret? What <laughs> have we to hide? They go as far as they can to make it conversational English. The rhymes. Who would have thought that Joel Schumacher Who would, would? would spectacularly mis- mis- misjudge the tone of an adaptation? And miscast every single person in it. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest thing. But anyway... Um, that's fresh in my mind because it's something we've been talking about on the streams. Uh, One of the the people who watched in my stream um, is sort of a recovering Phantom movie fan. And so we... uh... We ended up... I was able to sort of issue the balm of the good film stage version. Yeah. um, uh, Of starring uh, the Go Compare guy. uh, Go Compare man and uh, the Little Mermaid, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Cogsworth. And Um, Cogsworth. So that's so that's fresh in my mind because I've been watching those clips again recently and going like, oh my god, every decision here is wrong. But anyway, my point is, I want the world of films to learn from Let It Go. Yes. And learn to cast someone who has 
an idea what they are doing. What they've done here is they've cast songwriters who've done Broadway shows. Yes. And they've cast people who have been in Broadway shows. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that is what to do. If what you're trying to recreate is a musical. Yeah. Then do. Yes. Don't get Joel Schumacher. What's he got to do with that? <laughs> or, you know, I don't want to pick on the guy, but... Don't cast Russell Crowe. Yeah. You know? Don't me. cast Russell Crowe. And I don't want to pick on him. Like, I I think if that had not been a musical, I'd have loved his Javert. Yeah. I, I liked the, the speaking bits. Which were none of it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, the bits that weren't a song he does. Like, yeah. even the sung dialogue stuff I thought was okay. Yeah. yeah. The problem is that with him, they did the thing that they keep doing, which is go, he's been in a band. Yeah. That's not good enough. That's a different thing. That's a t- completely yeah. different type of singing. That's like saying, just see this guy on the piano. Oh, he's playing the drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It is a different thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So anyway, hopefully Let It Go sparks a little fire. And I mean, has it? I'm trying to think because Disney haven't really been doing musicals since No, they've then. done Big Hero 6 and Zootopia. But then we have to allow that they already would have been. Well, they've got Moana coming up next. So there's yeah. another piece of pressure to put oh, on that. Oh, God. <laughs> it is... Oh, it's going to be a nightmare, isn't it? I hope it's good, but... And now we listen to the words of a man who hasn't yet listened to Hamilton and so doesn't know that at least the songs in Moana will obviously be amazing. All the pieces of history are in place for it to be bad. Yeah. If we're in a... Because there are so many ways that we can compare this Disney renaissance with the previous Disney renaissance. And sometimes my opinions change on which film is which, but there is a Little Mermaid and a Beauty and the Beast. And like, are we heading towards a Pocahontas? Pocahontas. Where it all just collapses. It'll have to eventually. Yeah. But even though there's no reason why it has to, the only reason it happened last time is because I mean, really, if it comes down to it, company politics is why it happened last time. It was when Katzenberg left. That's what happened. But something will always ha- like no creative entity yeah. goes into a run of infinite no. across the board great. But awful. I think it could go on for longer than it tends to. I think that in, in certainly in a setup like this where what you've got is Disney like Disney are in a very good moment right now. Yeah, and to be fair on them, it has lasted longer than the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. This is the one, really. Honestly, the thing with Disney is, right now, it's going across the entire studio. Oh, yeah. Just Walt Disney Animation Studios, like, you know. Yeah, the worst films they put out right now are quite good. Exactly, yeah. These are distinct teams who don't actually have anything to do with each other, like Walt Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. Yeah whoever it is who's making the live action remakes like all of them are coming out to very good reviews clearly someone at the very top has some good ideas right now and long may that continue so theoretically they just have to write them down and then give them to the next person when they leave and that person has to go all they have to do is go what if we keep hiring people who are definitely the best people at the thing we're hiring them for. Avoid hiring people who will just be like, I know everything was fine here, but I must put my stamp on mm. this, even if my stamp is garbage. The problem is that they will, at some point, run out of... And this sounds like a weird thing to do, but like it feels true. Yeah. That at some point, they will run out of fairy tale esque stories to tell as musicals. Yes. Because, yes, there's loads, but everything is finite, and like you can only beat the same horse for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Even if it's one that nobody wants you to stop flogging. Yeah. But the thing is, that gives me hope, is that that's what it felt like happened last time. Yeah. When they moved away from what I like to think of as actual Disney films. Yeah. And sort of, or like, or rather the actual formula that we loved. Yeah. We loved it. And four films into us loving it. Yeah. They stopped doing it because they thought they needed to... Freshen up. Yeah. Yeah. And they were wrong. They freshened down. They made it worse. (laughs) But like right now though, I mean, they're juggling through a number of different things, all of which seem to be working out well for them. Like, you know, they are doing the fairy tale stuff, Mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, they did a Marvel adaptation. They did Zootopia, which is just completely made up. Moana is basically completely made up, even though, in a way, it fits aspects of the fairy tale template. And once again, Moana's going to be a litmus test for their ability to create fairy tale-esque stories from, from whole cloth. Yeah. Ooh. If that works, it doesn't matter when they run out of fairy tales. No. They make up their own fairy tales. Yeah. If they don't... Will we we let them? Let's see what happens with Moana. (laughs) I've managed to write us into a corner here whereby the entire future of Walt Disney Animation Studios rests on Moana being brilliant. Yes, but it might be the case. It might be. It looks... there's There's a lot of good arguments for that. The Rock's in it. Is he? Yeah, that's good. 
Is it? Yeah. Or is that exactly the sort of thing they did wrong last time? The films, we've just been talking about how one of the staples of the the, the worst time in in our lives for animation was when they started going, The Rock's in it. (laughs) Not The Rock, but whoever it was. But the thing is, though, it's okay for Disney to cast some famous people. Oh, yeah. Like, they always cast some famous people. Absolutely. It's the point where they start selling the film on the idea that said famous person is is in it. They are in no sense selling Moana on the idea, oh, The Rock's in it. It's like the person playing the lead is not a name. It's just he's playing a kind of older mentor character in the film because, you know, he has similar heritage to those characters. So that's fine for the same reason that it was fine for... Rowan Atkinson yeah. to be in The Lion King. Yeah. It's not like, oh, look, it's Rowan Atkinson. It's just yeah. like, or Jeremy Irons. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. If it's the right voice for the role, then it's the right voice for the role. Exactly. Um, I guess I do have a slight misgiving in this case because The Rock, unlike Jeremy Irons and Rowan Atkinson, just has the voice of a man I, rather than a mad cartoon voice. I think you're underestimating how charismatic The Rock is. So next, what we're going to talk about next is... Everything After Let It everything Go. Everything After Let It Go. Begin, which is about two-thirds of the film. Beginning with Sven. <laughs> And Kristoff. Uh, Which That's... we've covered a little bit, yeah. but we can cover some more. Yeah, Join us. Join us for whatever the next episode is. Yes. Of this. <laughs> of this, whatever the hell this of is. Of the time that we finally got it out of our systems, put the pasties in the past, <laughs> <laughs> and let it go, and spoke of what we've been holding inside. Um, <laughs> the cold... Never... Another call does bother me. <laughs> good night. <laughs> goodbye. And, like, actually, goodbye because you're leaving my house now. <laughs> yes, I am. I am with some luck. <laughs> Perhaps I'll just unedited send this to the uh, to the inner circle lot and see what they think. <laughs> They're going to be horrified. They'll think shorter. <laughs> yes, they will. It may survive. This is ridiculous. Right. Okay. It's bye, everyone. Bye. I'm bye. switching off now. And as the pair of us go our merry ways, it is explicitly because we know there's a long way left to go. And we don't want to be up all night. Or rather, we already know we have been. So meet us refreshed in part four, when we begin the trek through the post-let-it-go parts of the film, where the story loosens up and bits of it start flopping off into the snow. We will discuss extraneous characters and how amnesia stories work, and I ramp towards a lengthy diatribe. See you then! Post-podcast disclaimer. Since recording this, I do now have a proper surround setup and can confirm that the strange reverb effect on Let It Go is still there. The voice plays normally from the central speaker, but then the delayed version plays on the front and rear left and right speakers a split second later. It does cause this constant strange disorientation in my opinion, and I wish I could switch it off because the other songs in the film sound fantastic, and this sounds spoiled. However, there is still hope. The Blu-ray is mixed in 7.1 and I only have a 5.1 setup, so maybe this is still a symptom of downmixing. At this point though, if it is, I shouldn't have to spend that much money just to fix this error. Contact us at SeriousDisness on Twitter or SeriousDisness at gmail.com. And don't worry, I bought Hamilton really soon after recording this. Oh, and if you like us, please leave us a nice review on iTunes and those five stars. It's what keeps podcasts alive. Okay, bye.